That'll help Raymond up there. He can turn me on. There we go. He's frantically getting ready to wave at him. Hey! Now then, those of you that looked in the bulletin and found your place in the Bible, we're not there. Let's open to Acts chapter 2. I know it. I know, throwing curveballs. How do you think my secretary feels? She just typed that thing up, and then we're not using it. You'd think I would learn when I am having trouble and it's a little uneasy, it doesn't settle in my heart, that I'd know, go to something else. But I gave it to her, and then God said, go to something else. So we did. Acts chapter 2, we find the whole book of Acts, the Acts, really, they call it the Acts of the Apostles in most of our Bibles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's really a history book. It's the history of the New Testament church as it started off and grew. And then after that, you have many of Paul's epistles that are either written to churches or to pastors, mostly, one personal one in Philemon, and uh, how the church is supposed to work because they had some problems. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 40. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit has come. The power is there just as Jesus promised. The one who denied Christ three times had been reinstated. He's the one that preaches that day. He's the one that powerfully proclaims Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom you put to death, has risen from the dead. And it said that their hearts were pierced, and they want to know what to do. Verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and good, divided them among all, as many as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you right now. And ask that your Holy Spirit would settle our hearts and minds right now. Remove those things that distract us from you. That keep us from listening to you. That keep us from obeying you. And Father, focus us on your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, make your word come alive and go forth powerfully. And Father, let it accomplish what you intend to accomplish this morning. Let Jesus be lifted up in our midst. We would see him, Lord. And we know that if he is lifted up, he will draw men and women, boys and girls to himself. Let us be open to what you would have us to do publicly for you today as we gather in your name. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.
I wanted to look this morning at, really, uh, what do you do after revival? See, we had revival. I hope you attended. I hope you got revived. If you didn't feel revival, then I'm sorry. There's still hope. Okay? Uh, because God's not done working. And really, I wanted to look at this little passage of Scripture because as we focus on that first church, the church in Jerusalem, uh, they accomplished what Jesus told them to do. They spread the world to their, the word to their known world and really turned it upside down for Jesus. Now, how did they do that? There are a lot of different principles we could say, but there's one that stood out to me. And that's basically this. As Christians, we must be sold out to Jesus. Let me say that again. As Christians, we need to be sold out to Jesus. And here's what I mean. Do we go through life seeking His will or our will? When we wake up in the morning, are we going to do something for Him or something for us? Have we emptied ourselves in such a way that the Holy Spirit's, Spirit renews us and fills us and lives the life of Jesus through us so that others are drawn to Christ? That's what being sold out means. It doesn't mean, mean hiding our Christianity from those we work with. It doesn't mean hiding our Christianity for those that we live next door to. It doesn't mean hiding our Christianity from those that we have recreational time with. It means that Jesus Christ is evident in our lives. One of the sure signs that you're saved is, now get this, do we surrender to the will of God? And so I wanted to look at how they sold out and just see a few things. First of all, I didn't read verse 1 of this chapter, but I'm going to. They had a harmony among one another. They had a harmony among one another. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 44 says it just a little bit differently. It says this, Now all who were baptized were together and had all things in common. See, they had a harmony. There was a oneness of vision. A oneness of vision. Now, what do I mean by a oneness of vision? These believers, these early believers, practiced, lived in, and possessed harmony. Real harmony. Harmony means a, a, a musical note. It means getting along. It, it means a peace. It's a oneness, if you will. They were together in one place. They were doing one thing, praying on that day of Pentecost. And they had all things in common. They were in harmony. Now, I'm not a musician. Anybody that's ever heard me try to play something or try to sing realizes I'm not. But I know when I hear someone who is singing in harmony. And you do too. You see, you don't want the choir up there and one is singing one way and one singing another way. One singing one verse and one singing another verse. It doesn't sound good. And anything musically that you do needs harmony. Is that too far for some of you who are musicians? You see, because whether it's a band whether it's a choir, whether it's just an ensemble or an orchestra, harmony, to get along, to sound good, 
And that's what we have to have as a church to sound good to the world is a harmony, a peace, a getting along. You see, they had one vision, and that vision was of a risen Savior, and they were left here to serve Him until He comes again. See, my second point is this. They had oneness of vision. They did not have opposing views. Now, early in my ministry, I want you not to turn me off. Early in my ministry, I thought it was good to have opposing views in a church. Because I thought, yeah, you'll, you'll discuss it, and, and you have that fellowship, and you come to agreement, and you go on. What I found out, that when you have a lot of opposing views in a church, that fellowship is very easily fractured. That harmony can go down the tubes suddenly. What kept them from doing that? See, I look at this early church, they had one of the strongest senses of unity, of love, of fellowship, and of harmony. Because they were united in a common commitment to Christ. Not my will, Lord, but your will. It's a common commitment to Christ. They were sold out to Jesus. Now hear me, conflicts arise in every church. Did you hear that? Conflicts arise in every church. Even in this one, by the time you get to chapter 6, they're having a conflict, and that's where they elected the first deacons and said, y'all make sure the daily administration goes like it's supposed to while we continue in the Word and in prayer. But you see, when there's a real harmony, you and I may not see eye to eye, but because we both love Jesus, we'll come to that same harmony, that oneness of of, uh, expressing what we believe and coming to a unity of what we think Christ would have us to do and still loving one another even if we don't get our way. Do we understand that? You see, it's called harmony. And the church needs a spirit of harmony if it's going to grow. The church needs a spirit of harmony if it's going to witness to the nation, to the community, to our neighbors, to our friends. You see, we need a... a, a a bunch of prayer warriors in the church praying that God guides our harmony to accomplish His will in this place. Not to have that leads to bad things. So if we sense that we're not in harmony with someone, we need to go to them, find out what's wrong, pray together, make it right, and continue in harmony. One step. Let's go on. The second thing they had is in verse 42, they had a word. Notice what verse 42 said. All that were baptized, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They had a word. Think about it. They'd start out with 120 in that upper room. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. All of Jerusalem, the, the fire or the, the wind sounded so much, I guess, like a tornado. It said the wind filled the room, and the whole crowd was drawn to what was going on. It said there were cloven tongues as of fire. That means divided tongues resting on each one. It was a symbol to draw people. But listen to me when it says they started speaking in tongues. The word there is dialectos. They were speaking languages they didn't know. As uneducated Galilean people, fishermen, they were speaking. It listed all the different ones there that were there saying they heard it in their own ear. So they were speaking different dialects and the people could hear whatever they were speaking in their own language, the good news about Jesus. 
And they had a word that they stuck to. You see, it was the authority of their life. See, what authority did the church of Jerusalem possess? That we possess? That enabled them to move and to do what they did? Said the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they took what Jesus had taught them and carefully taught it to other folks. This is what they had. They had the Old Testament and what Jesus had taught them. And as the Holy Spirit moved, they wrote it down. Gave us the New Testament. It is the authority for our lives. Now, I'm going to be very blunt. That doesn't surprise you, I hope. I'm going to ask you, what's the authority in your life? I'm going to be very blunt. I'm going to tell you something. Don't be so liberal-minded that when you bend over, your brain falls out. Use some common sense. Quit trying to explain the Word of God away. Well, Brother Gary, that was written so long ago, and it has so many mistakes in it. And yet when I ask you to show me a mistake, you cannot do it. Well, it was written so long ago, and it doesn't apply to our day. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and for. Ever. You see, they had an authority. But it wasn't just the authority for the living. I won't tell you how much it was to them. Because it goes on. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. If you're taking notes, underline that continued steadfastly. Here's what that means in the Greek. They were addicted to God's word. What a thing to be addicted to. Not drugs, not alcohol, not sex, not all these other things. Chocolate, shopping, the internet. I don't know what you're addicted to. But are we addicted to God's Word? They couldn't get enough. Man, i got to have a fix. Said they went daily to the temple. And some of us think it's hard making the church three times a week. They went every day. Hello. Do you understand that we're supposed to be addicted to God's Word? It's to be the authority of our lives. You see, these people honored God's Word and God honored them because they weren't just hearers of the Word, they were doers of the Word. When we as a church live out the Word of God, people take notice. We can't be like a Church in Tennessee it was a small church, and they wanted to start doing mass mail-outs. So they had to develop a stamp to put it so the, the, the post office would recognize it. And some smart aleck put this on their stamp, a nonprofit organization. But he did not say P-O-P-R-O-F-I-T. They put P-R-O-P-H-E-T, a nonprofit organization some of y'all just catching that did you spell it right p-r-o-p-h-e-t did i spell that right okay and we don't want to be like that see we want to tell them what the bible says to proclaim it because that's what a prophet does see but it's supposed to sing into our lives into our hearts you see how important is the word of god remember some of the things we learned like in sunday school psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 
Verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The one we learn in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, and much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. You ever had some fresh honeycomb? That was the original gum, y'all. Before I really got to chewing gum, I got to chew honeycomb. That's the best stuff ever. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. They had a word. Guess what? We have a word, too. The final word of God. His name is Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? Do we live that? Do we uphold that? Do we teach it to our children and our grandchildren? Do we understand that there are those outside of these walls right here in Gasville and in Cotter who don't know the Word of God? There are those that have moved in from other places and the only time they hear the precious name of Jesus is in a curse word. They need the Word of God proclaimed to them in our witness. To tell them who Jesus really is. We need to continue to honor God's word and make it our authority. We need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to live it. This early church did it. And look what God did. 3,000 souls this time. 5,000 after this. The world begins to turn upside down. You go on in the book of the Acts. And the very priests who doubted Jesus were now converting to Jesus. And the Sanhedrin gets upset again. We're losing our own priest. Peter and John have to stand before him again. But this time there's no backing down. Do we understand that? So, they had a harmony. They had a word. Third thing, they had a purpose. They had a purpose. Yes, look at verse 32. We didn't read it, so turn back to it. Verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, notice, of which we are all witnesses. I want you to hear that again. This Jesus, who they crucified and who was buried, God has raised up the resurrection, of which we are all witnesses. Not just the apostles, the whole 120, many as 500 at a time, had seen Jesus risen from the dead. He said, we are all witnesses to what this happens. What is our purpose? Their purpose was fulfilling the commission they had from Jesus before he left, back in Acts 1.8. He said, but after you receive power, they would go and wait. And he said, after you receive power, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, there's some things I want you to hear about that. You see, their purpose was to fulfill that commission. But they had to have a commitment. 
You see, he said, we're all witnesses. Every one of them. Not just a few. So that led me to some things. What are some things about witnessing that you need to know? First of all, I want you to look up. Quit ignoring me. Quit being scared. Quit being tired of hearing it. Everyone can be a witness. I'm going to say it again. You're going to say it with me. Everyone can be a witness. Now, we're going to make it personal. I can be a witness. Say it. I can be a witness. Why? How? If you've been born again, you have the Spirit of God within you, and He will help you to witness. Everyone can be a witness if we've experienced a new birth. If you don't have something to witness about, maybe you're not saved. I'm sort of like Elton Trueblood, the great evangelist of, a, of another era. He said this, No person is really a Christian at all unless he's an evangelist or becoming one. He meant all of us can be a witness. But not just that. We can witness where we are. You should relax when you say that. God didn't go make me to go all the way to Africa. But sometimes, because we've made mess-ups, it would be easier to go to Africa than right where we live. Right? But see, we can be a witness where we are. Bloom where we're planted. We have the keys to do it. But the third truth is the most important. We must witness. We must witness. See, Jesus said, you shall be. He didn't say you shall become. He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say if you felt gifted to do it. He said, you shall be my witnesses. It's sort of like in Matthew 5, 14 when he said, you are the light of the world. Not should be, not could be, not will be someday. You are. You shall be my witnesses. You are to be a witness. I am to be a witness. We need to get that straight. This church held their purpose very close. Our purpose in life is to match Jesus and how he lived and to tell others about him. You hear that? That's the purpose of the church, to tell others. We are to be a hospital for spiritual birth. We are to be a greenhouse that nurtures, nurtures young Christians. We are to be the very place that God can move and develop witnesses. If we lose that, take church off the front of the sign and just put Gasville Country Club. Do we understand that? We have a purpose. Now, you may say your purpose is to make money or to make friends or to keep a job or whatever. All those things are secondary to our purpose. Whatever living you make is secondary to the purpose that God has left you here for. It enables you to be a witness. It enables you to tell others. It enables you to share the gospel. It enables, but it's not your purpose. If at the end of life we've climbed the ladder of success, only find out that our ladder was against the wrong tree, wouldn't that be a miserable thing to find out? Do we understand this early church knew Jesus? They were excited to tell others. I've said it before and I'll continue to say it again. When you love somebody, 
you can't help but tell somebody that. You can't. My mama got so sick of me. I said, Mama, I met this little red-headed girl at college. She said, uh-oh. So, oh, Mama, she's the sweetest thing since peanut butter with honey on it. Really, Gary? Yes. She's a preacher's daughter. And she said, uh-oh, twice. I said, I'm bringing her home to meet you. So I figured Mom would have a big old meal, and she did. Mom didn't tell me. She invited all her sisters, all my sisters. I thought it would just be between me and Mom and Dad. And da-da-da-da-da. Elizabeth turned three shades of red as they asked her every question in the book. So I wonder if she ever dated me again. But I couldn't help it. I had to tell them. I found the one. That took God another year to convince her I was the one. But, <laughs> but I knew. I couldn't help but tell people. Now, how can we say we love Jesus and we never open our mouth about Jesus? And it's wonderful to tell people about the church and invite them to church, and I want you to continue to do that. But you know what you really need to tell them about? Your Savior. Because they'll listen to you before they'll ever come to hear me. And if they get saved with you talking to them, they'll come to hear the church and join the church. We are to be witnesses these people had a purpose are you living out your purpose am i living out my purpose the fourth thing and you're going to say amen it's finally about over amen it's finally about over okay it's this they had a power remember in verse chapter 1 verse 8 he said but you shall receive power after the holy spirit has come upon you and then you shall be my witnesses See, and in verse 17, that happens. Where it says, Peter's quoting Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, says the Lord. And it happened at Pentecost. That upper room where that 120 are gathered experienced Pentecost. They experienced God pouring out His Spirit. You see, when I talk about power, these early Christians had a holy mark. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. As they submitted to His will, they cleansed themselves daily praying, and He empowered them for the work they were to do. It was the power dwelling in them. Okay. But on that, they had a holy moving. They moved as the Spirit told them to move. You remember that, that Stephen, one of the first deacons, was preaching a big revival there in the Samaritans. It was right there in the midst of everybody. People were coming to know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit said, Come here, i got something else. He led him to a desert road down there, away from Jericho, down below where there's nobody. Why would God take him from that hustle and bustle and a revival that was just booming to a desert road to meet the Ethiopian eunuch? The Ethiopian eunuch was saved and he baptized him there. And years later, hundreds of years later, when the first missionary, Christian missionaries went to Africa, they found a vibrant Christian church. Guess who they believed took it back to Africa? The Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit knew that. They didn't. You see, we need a holy mark that the power of God is upon us. We need a holy moving that we surrender to Jesus and His Spirit and do as He said. You see, 
A.J. Gordon, a preacher, he went to the World's Fair when they used to have those World Fairs. I don't know if you've ever been to one. I went to one. It was quite an event. And he said in the distance he could see this gold man, this man dressed in a gold suit, just shining. And he was pumping one of those old hand cranks. And boy, the water was rushing out. He was just a pumping. And the water was just spilling out into the street. And he, from a distance, said, man, that guy's really pumping that water. I don't go see how he can do that. He must be really strong. When he got there, he laughed his head off. They had a mannequin dressed up in a gold suit. And they had him pumping. But it was an electric water pump that was pumping that water. So it was really the water pumping the man. You're not pumping the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's pumping you. The power's there. If we're surrendered, He moves us. If we're surrendered, He works through us. If we're surrendered, you don't have to worry about the work. He's going to do it through us. I can't teach Sunday school. If God's calling you to teach Sunday school, you can teach Sunday school. I can't sing. If God's calling you to sing, you can sing. I can't play the piano. Well, if you've ever studied piano, and even if you hadn't, if God's calling you to do it, you can do it. See, God never calls us to something He does not equip us to do. Well, I can't witness. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit will bring somebody into your life. It'll be just as easy as it be. And you're like, man, that was something else. I didn't understand it happened like that. Well, that's the way it happens. Can I tell you how many times it's happened like this? Eric, first person I baptized as a pastor. Nine o'clock on a Saturday night, he comes knocking on the parsonage door, bawling his eyes out, saying, you got to help me, preacher. Something's wrong. So we began to talk. Elizabeth went in the other room and began to pray. He was saved right there. Now that's what you call an easy witness. They come looking for you. Or another lady who I won't mention, she's still in the area. We went knocking on her door. She was watching that movie Left Behind, was scared to death, and got saved that night. I've got witnesses in this church. They were with me when that happened. Okay? I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll meander around the hospital. And you know I meander because I can't find my way most of the time. Lisa says, just concentrate. And I say, with what? And I'll get off on the wrong floor. And I'll be looking around. And say, Where am I supposed to be? And then it'll dawn on me, I'm not on the right floor. And by that time, there'll be somebody needing help right there. Now, is it me? No. But the Holy Spirit knew I needed to be there and place me there. And be like one of my deacons. I was preaching hard one day. He jumped up out of the pew and went taking off as far as he could. And I said, boy, oh boy. You know, I'd always been taught. Now, you remember this. When you're preaching and somebody gets mad, here's the truth. When you throw into a pack of dogs, the only one that yelps is the one that got hit. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? So I thought, boy, I must have done something really wrong. He and I were friends. He goes running out of there. Later that night, uh, I got a call from another couple. That deacon felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit to go see that couple that he just went. They weren't in church that morning. They'd been having marital problems. He went up and knocked on the door and, and found out that they were fighting and that she was in the back bedroom. He went back there and brought her forward. She had a pistol in her hand, was getting ready to commit suicide. was how bad it was. They were splitting up, and she couldn't handle it. He talked to them, prayed with them, talked to them some more, prayed with them some more. They're still married to this day. But she says, if he hadn't interrupted, I wouldn't be here today. The Holy Spirit just got after him so bad. Now, don't use that as an excuse to go running off to get to the food early, okay? 
because you want to be in line first. But what I'm telling you is we have a power that cannot be explained. It's the power of God in our lives. Jesus said we would know Him and we'd know the truth. The world couldn't see Him, but we would know Him because we know the truth. We know God's Word, and He lives within us. If you want to say heart, mind, I don't know. It just says He lives within us. See, He's the guarantee that we're saved. Romans 8 says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. If you've never experienced the Spirit of God moving, I want to ask you, did you get dunked or did you get saved? Did you get religion or did you get relationship? Just on and on and on, we see acts of power committed through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. See, the early church was not perfect in any way, but it was productive. God takes imperfect people, I think Brother Sonny said this, and does miraculous things. Every time somebody walks this aisle, it's a miracle. There's been somebody praying for them. There's been somebody talking to them about the Word of God. There's been somebody teaching them, somebody ministering to them, and then they walk the aisle. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit, and the new birth is from above, from God. He calls them and convicts them to come to Jesus. How can he do that if we're not living for Jesus? How can he do that if we're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit and what he wants done? He can't. He's chosen to work through you and through me. But we have to surrender. How does God limit himself? Because he's not going to force us. Well, God can do anything, Brother Gary. I didn't say he couldn't. But if he can't use me, he's going to use somebody else. If he can't use this church, he's going to use another church. Why is God blessing so? Because you've surrendered. Don't ever forget that. It's not about us. It's about him. Jesus. It's not my preaching or your teaching or somebody's singing. It's the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you need to come and pray for your harmony. Within your heart, maybe nobody knows you're really upset, but you know you are, and you need to have that harmony restored. Maybe you need to come and this morning submit to the Word of God that it will be the authority of your life, and you'll live it, and you'll memorize it, and you'll share it. Maybe you need to commit to the purpose God has laid on your heart, that you are to work where you're to work, but you are to share Jesus wherever you're at. You're to be His witnesses. Maybe you need to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Come and rededication. Join the church. Be saved. I don't know what decision you need to make, but Jesus does. He's right here. He's been whispering in your ear, talking to your heart all through the revival, even to this point today. Will you surrender? Will you come forward? Will you do what Jesus wants you to do? I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand. Brother Ron is going to lead us in the invitation. You come as you need to come. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it challenges us. Thank you that you're here with us. You promise whether two or three are gathered in your name, in the midst, 
you're here, you're working, you're moving. Let us commit to be and do what you want us to be and do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand, please?